Well, good morning, Northlands Church. I hope this message finds you well. Uh, I, I just want to be as honest as I possibly can. I absolutely uh, hate preaching to a camera. I really do. I miss you guys so much. I can't wait for the time that we get together back again. This feels uh, awkward and, and weird in a thousand different ways, but mostly because I just miss hanging out with you on the weekends. I hope you're all doing well, and I'm, I'm just praying for us to be able to come together as soon and as, as safely as possible. Uh, I'm excited for today's message. I'm, I'm entitling it uh, Overwhelming Evidence. And what I'm, I'm fascinated by in this message, just in my preparation time, I think all messages and teachings come from a place of devotion, but this feels far more of a devotional than it does of a preach for me, just in my opinion of the way that the Lord has prepared it in my heart. Uh, and so I'm, I'm interested to see honestly how it, how it comes across. Uh, there's been questions that I've been asking during this time, questions that aren't just wrestling in my heart, but they've been questions that I've had with uh, conversations with many of you, questions like, uh, where is God in the pain of all this? And, and for me, my heart is that we would uh, not just take this message and have a general understanding of pain and suffering on a philosophical level, but rather I want to personalize it and say, where is God in my pain? The circumstances and experiences that you're having right now during the pandemic are very different from mine, I'm sure. And so I want us to be able to ask, Lord, where, where are you in the midst of my experiences uh, right now? These are questions that have not just been with me, but I've seen them on social media and in the news and through our Zoom community groups and, and other ways of connecting with one another. We've had questions like, well, what is the Lord doing during COVID? What does this mean? Is this a sign of the end times? Is this a judgment or a punishment? I want to look at those questions today. Another question I want to consider that's been uh, rolling again in my head throughout this time is, what is it that we're supposed to be doing through this? I, I know that we've talked about what the church is doing, and I, I want to say, man, I'm so proud of the way uh, Northlands, this community, has been operating since the pandemic. We've heard nothing but incredible reports of, of all of our members uh, showing generosity through finances and resources and sending messages of encouragement and staying connected with one another. And so it is such an honor to be with this community during this time. And I'm so proud of each and every one of you who have just continually demonstrated what it means to be a part of the church. But we have these questions and I, and I wanna look at them through our time together. And I also just wanna be transparent. Uh, there's been feelings during this time that I've experienced that, that have been honestly taking a mental and emotional toll on me. Things uh, that I would describe at this moment the best I can articulate as being uh, double-minded in some sense. In some regard, it feels like I've got multiple personalities uh, simultaneously taking place throughout the day. Uh, if I could describe it this way, in some regards, I've been embracing some of the things that this pandemic has afforded me and my family. I get to watch my daughter at certain hours of the day where usually she would be at school or I would be working at the office, but now I get to be with her through, throughout the day. And I'm just grateful to God that he would allow for me to have this kind of time. I'm also, uh, I'm grateful for the, the afternoon walks that my family has been having. My wife and I have had these conversations just about life, about how we're gonna weather through some of this storm, making plans, but it's led to just deeper levels of intimacy and understanding one another. And again, I'm grateful for that. At the same time, sometimes in the same day or hour, I feel uh, feelings of conflict. I feel like I'm wrestling with the Lord on a lot of things. There's elements about this that I hate. I, I, I hate the fact that we don't get to be together for, for quite some time. I, I, I'm, 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 uh, I, I hate the fact that I'm hearing reports of people's uh, health issues or they have family members that are doing uh, really poorly or their finances are, are becoming more and more strapped with each passing week. Uh, I, I, feel, I feel for my brothers and sisters who are essential workers, especially in the medical field, who are, who are serving just full out, working crazy hours, exhausted, 
tested, tired, and the things that they have to witness and experience during this time. I'm really wrestling with that, and I know that you are as well. And I want to look at some scriptures and texts that help us uh, have a better understanding of these type of questions and the things that we might be wrestling with internally. I believe that the Lord wants to do a work in our lives, not just in our circumstances, but also on the inside of us. And that's the direction that I'm heading uh, this morning. If I could, I want to lay out kind of where I'm going today. There's four passages of scripture that I want to look at. Uh, Really just a couple verses in each of these passages that will lead to an overarching theme that I just want us to consider during this time. In in the one set of passages, it's the three chapters in the book of Habakkuk. And and, uh, Habakkuk is just three chapters long. And I just want to take a couple verses in each one of those chapters and look at the overarching theme and message of this prophet. I also want to look at a psalm, Psalm 31, because David and Habakkuk have this uh, theme and formula of, of worship to the Lord and also something that leads them to a therapeutic healing of the soul that I want us to discover as well. So let me just, let me just uh, lay before you my, my hope for today's message. I want this to be incredibly personal for you and your situation. As we talk about pain and suffering, I want you to personalize it. I want you to consider your pain and suffering and what you are experiencing. I also want to make this as incredibly practical as possible. There's been some sermons that we've had in our past that has helped with several different exercises that Greg has recommended over the years, and I think that they are more relevant than ever during this time that I want to point us to in just a little while. Let's look at a moment and just break down uh, Habakkuk. If you're not familiar uh, with this book, uh, Habakkuk is a minor prophet, and there's something very unique about him. Uh, Most prophets, uh, just to give an idea of where he's at in the history and timeline, he's about 600 years before the birth of Jesus. And what's unique about this prophet is that most prophets, they are speaking to the people on behalf of the Lord, like God's mouthpiece. You'll see in Isaiah and Jeremiah uh, statements like, the word of the Lord came to Jeremiah or came to Isaiah, or Jeremiah declared the word of the Lord to the people. But that's not what happens in Habakkuk. In Habakkuk, he is speaking to God on behalf of the people. The messages and and internal wrestlings of the culture of that time and what's happening in his own heart and mind personally is what he's declaring to the Lord. He wants the Lord to know how he is feeling in his generation. And I find that incredibly unique. What's unique about it is even though Habakkuk was a man who wrote an account 2,600 years ago, he is asking the same kind of questions that I believe each one of us is asking today in the year 2020. And so I believe that there's some practical application that is going to be very relevant for us as we understand his writings. Now, here's an overview of of the book as a whole and where I'd like us to go. Chapter one of the book of Habakkuk is his complaints to the Lord. He has questions. Some of the questions and the internal wrestling that I've already expressed, that's what he is expressing to the Lord in chapter one. In chapter two, there's also complaints, and it's this dialogue that takes place midway through chapter one and chapter two, where Habakkuk comes to the Lord and he has complaints and questions and concerns, and it's God answering his questions. That's what chapter two is mainly about. It's the promises that God reveals. If I could say it this way, chapter one is about the pain. Chapter two is about the promises from the Lord. In chapter one, we want to look at the question, God, where are you in my pain? In chapter two, we want to look at what is God doing? This leads to chapter three of the book of Habakkuk. And what's fascinating about chapter three is it's a prayer from the prophet. 
He essentially takes the tensions of chapter one, his experiences, his circumstances, his pain, and he holds it in tension next to God's answers. What is God doing? What is it that the Lord revealed? And also understanding more of God's character and nature. And it's from these two tension points that we see his, his prayer, his response, what he is going to do in light of these two tension points. And if I could say it this way, chapter one is about the pain. Chapter two is about the promise. And chapter three is about the prayer. The questions that we want to answer and or rather ask today is, what is God doing in our pain? What is it that he is doing among us? Or where is he in our pain? What is he doing among us? And again, chapter three, the question we want to look at is, what is it that we should be doing during this time? Let's look at chapter one, Habakkuk chapter one. Listen to the aggression of Habakkuk's questions and his pleas to the Lord. He says this, How long, Lord, must I call for help, but you do not listen, or cry out to you violence, but you do not save? Why do you make me look at injustice? Why do you tolerate wrongdoing? Destruction and violence are before me. There is strife and conflict that abounds. Now, as I get into this chapter, I want to begin by just talking about Habakkuk's name. The name and the meaning of Habakkuk is actually very profound, and it speaks of the internal wrestling that I've already been expressing during this time. His name is twofold in its meaning. His name means both to embrace to take a grip, to understand something firmly and with conviction. And it also means to wrestle with, to have the things that, you know what, I don't actually have a very good grip. I'm, I'm grasping here. I'm wrestling with some things. And I, I think his name is the, the meaning of our own stories during this time. We are both embracing some great things that we've been afforded during this time, some extra times of peace and getting away with the Lord and connecting with our families. And at the same time, we are wrestling with some significant questions and wondering what is it that the Lord is doing. And so his name is actually a reflection of his own writings. Essentially, Habakkuk is in this place where he says, I am embracing everything that I know to be true about God, but because his own beliefs and convictions aren't lining up with what he is seeing, he is wrestling with God in these two points. The first point of who I know God to be, and the second, uh, what I am seeing God do. Habakkuk is essentially making this statement in chapter 1. God, you could do something to change my experience and to fix my pain, and you're not. And that's not fair. I love the honesty of this prophet. I really, really do. I love the fact that God actually gives us space to be this honest. That God's not mad at these questions. He's not mad at the, 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 even the aggression of Habakkuk. He, he's wrestling with his creation. He's, he wants to be with you in these questions. And I believe that's true about the Lord as well for us. God is not calling us to fake it till we make it. He is not calling us to pretend like we are impervious to the pain that we are currently experiencing. And what I love about this is that Jesus is a clear reflection of how good and right it is to wrestle with the Lord. Jesus was a perfect 100% reflection of both God and of mankind. God, Jesus was 100% God. If you want to know what God the Father was like, all you have to do is look at Jesus. 100% a reflection of the divine. And at the same time, he is 100%, not just a perfect man, but a perfect reflection of how humanity should operate in a fallen world. And there's a difference. Jesus was completely perfect in every way, but he also showed us how to wrestle with God perfectly while we live in a fallen world. Look at Matthew chapter 20 
26, verse 38 to 39. I just want to reference these verses. This is Jesus speaking to his disciples in the Garden of Gethsemane before he is crucified. And he says this. He said to them, my soul is very sorrowful, even to death. Jesus said, I am struggling and wrestling so much right now in despair that I want to die. I, I don't know if I can bear the pain any longer. And then he says in verse 30, 39, My Father, if it is possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. Jesus is saying, I, am, I know my purpose. I am embracing and trusting in my Father. I trust his plan, but I do not want to drink this cup. The cup he's referring to is the wrath of God. I don't want to, to drink from this cup. But if this is the will, if this is the plan of the Father, then I will trust that his plan leads to a significant and perfect purpose. And so he says, not my will. I embrace your will and your character and nature. But it does not negate the fact that Jesus was wrestling with the Father and he calls us to do the same. Hebrews chapter 4, verse 15. This is important. For we do, have, we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, with our pains, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are yet without sin. Verse 16, let us then with confidence draw near to the throne room of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in times of need. We are able to approach the throne room confidently even as we wrestle with the Father because it is there that we find grace and mercy and help in our times of trouble. Jesus is not far off or God is not far off in our pain. The reason this is such a significant thing is because it protects us against bad theology. Sometimes we might think that God is angry with us or trying to punish us for something that we've done, that our good circumstances somehow prove that we've done something righteous or that God is, is happy with our performance and that our bad circumstances are clearly signs that God has abandoned us and that could not be farther from the truth. You know, for me, I think about people who have given me comfort in the past, and it's one thing to receive comfort from a friend who has no idea what you've ever experienced because they have themselves have not experienced. If you, ha if you have somebody, a friend who's, who has finances, and they've had finances for their entire life, they've had resources, they've never, they've never been in a place where their needs aren't being met or the bills haven't been paid or they haven't been late in paying their bills, they can still comfort you and they can speak truth to you. But there's a different type of truth that comes across from somebody who says, I've been exactly where you are. I know what that pain feels like. And so they don't just give you resolve and solution, but they talk about the pain and they give solidarity during that comfort. And this is what God has done through the life of Jesus. He felt hunger. He felt pain. He knew what it meant to be poor. He knew what it meant to feel the pain and the sting even of death. He knew what betrayal felt like. He experienced all these things and he sympathizes with us. He is not far from us in the pain. He has not abandoned us in the pain. He is very near to us. In fact, Psalm 34 verse 8, 18 says, the Lord is close to the brokenhearted and saves those who are crushed in spirit. So again, I just want to guard us right now, Northlands, against a bad theology that might enter our mind. Good or bad circumstances are not evidence of God's pleasure or anger towards us. In good and bad circumstances, they are not the evidence that we have done right or wrong. Hear me, Northlands, in this. God has not abandoned you in your pain. And he is not punishing you or mad that you are wrestling. In fact, again, I love God makes space for honesty because, with, uh, because wrestling with our feelings, circumstances, and experiences are just as important as embracing God in his goodness when we see it 
in our life. If I could say it this way, if all we do is embrace God and we never wrestle, then the connection of my relationship with him is always based on the strength of the grip of my own hands. If all we ever do is embrace God and we never find time to wrestle, we're missing something. Both of these attributes are important. I remember when I was about eight or nine years old learning uh, to, to, I was getting a little bit more confident on my bike. I was, I was uh, riding a couple blocks away from my house and jumping off of curbs and, and enjoying riding the bike. But I, I made a wrong turn and just twisted the handlebars just the wrong way. And I flipped over the handlebars and one of the handlebars turned and just stuck me right in the stomach. It tore my shirt and it knocked the wind straight out of my lungs. I laid on my back and it was just a lot of pain. Now think about this for a moment. I can embrace God when I see his goodness, but what happens when we're embracing and life sucker punches us right in the stomach? Where does our hands go? Where does our embrace go? We involuntarily release whatever we are embracing and we begin to embrace wherever our pain is. In my case, I was embracing the pain in my stomach. I felt that pain and it was a time of wrestling with the Lord. But here's what I love about the wrestling. While I wasn't able to embrace in that moment because of the pain, the picture of wrestling is two opponents embracing one another, that I am both embracing the Lord, but the Lord is also embracing me in my times of trouble. And when I release that embrace, what, what happens when two opponents are wrestling and one of those opponents loses their grip? The other opponent takes uh, advantage of, of that release and he embraces all the more. Could I submit to you, Northlands, that when you feel like you're running low and you don't have the energy to embrace any longer and the pain is too great, that just because you release your embrace, it is not a sign that you have quit on God or that he has quit on you or that you are giving up or walking away, but rather it is a sign that you are not giving up on God, but you are surrendering to his embrace that God is very, very near to you in your pains. I would argue closer. We, we can celebrate and enjoy and experience God in the mountaintops of our lives, but it's in the valleys that we experience a new level of intimacy that we had not before. Pain is not a sign that God has abandoned you. Pain is a sign that he is grabbing hold of you and holding you all the more tighter. Let's jump into chapter two of the book of Habakkuk. Habakkuk chapter two, I said we want this to be called, if, if chapter one was the pain, this chapter is called the promise. What is God doing during this time is one of the questions that we want to consider. And God begins to answer the complaints and the questions and the pain points that Habakkuk is expressing towards him. And here's one of the answers that God gives in chapter one midway through. He says this, it's fascinating. He says to Habakkuk, look at the nations and watch. And be utterly amazed, for I am doing something in your days that you would not believe even if you were told. Pause. How profound is that? That God is doing something that is so profound that even if he told Habakkuk, Habakkuk's mind is too small to possibly understand and contain this information. He couldn't possibly understand the profound work that the Lord is doing. And obviously God at that time was speaking of the coming of Jesus. But the problem is, is it doesn't stop in verse 5. The very next verse, here's what the Lord says about what he is doing. He says, I am raising up the Babylonians, that ruthless and impetuous people who sweep across the whole earth to seize dwelling, not their own. What we have to understand about the culture and what Habakkuk was experiencing at this time, why he was so frustrated is that the nation itself was just going in a downward spiral in wickedness. And then to make it matters worse, their own king and leader was just as wicked. So he was leading him into further wickedness. And on top of that, Habakkuk sees the impending doom of the Babylonians coming. And then the Lord confirms, yes, they are going to come. They are going to overtake and I'm going to allow them to occupy this 
nation. But the Lord gives a second answer to Habakkuk in chapter 2. He says this, Then the Lord replied, Write down the revelation and make it plain on tablets, so that a herald may run with it. Verse 3, For the revelation, the promise that God has for His people, awaits an appointed time. It says this, It speaks of the end and will not prove false. Though it lingers, wait for it. It will certainly come and it will not delay. What a, what a paradox. Though it lingers, wait for it. Okay, so it's coming slowly. No, 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 no. It will certainly come and it will not delay. Okay, which is it, Lord? Is it coming slow or is it coming quickly? Essentially, the Lord answers Habakkuk's question in this way. In chapter 1, Habakkuk is essentially making the statement, God, you could do something to fix this. I have heard of your stories in my father's stories, my grandfather's stories, my great-grandfather's stories. I have heard the accounts of your goodness and your justice in those generations. So I know you are capable and you are powerful to do this and you won't. That's not fair is what Habakkuk says in chapter one. God, you could do something and you're not. But the Lord's answers to Habakkuk is this. No, no, no. I am doing something. I am doing a work. I'm just not doing it the way that you would if you were me. That's a hard pill to swallow. I am doing a work. I'm just not doing it the way that you think I should. He also is talking about the timing. The Lord's second answer, he's saying, no, 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 I am doing exactly what I promised. What I promised. I'm just not doing it in the time that you want. And when it comes to the timing of the Lord, essentially God tells Habakkuk, my timing's not always fast by your standards, but it is always perfect. The Lord's maybe not moving quickly enough for us, but his timing is always, always perfect. Perfect. Uh, a couple years back, we had a series here at Northlands called Stories of an Awesome God. And there was two sermons there that I want to reference now, but we're actually going to put the, the links to those sermons in the, the notes. So you'll see my PDF notes, but you'll also see links to a few different sermons today that I think are going to be helpful for us to dig deeper into these things and understanding these kind of questions. Uh, the first sermon in that series, Stories of an Awesome God, it was a series about the character and nature of God and who God is for us. I spoke about God, our provider, the one who who sees us, the one who goes ahead of us and makes provision. In the second sermon, I, I talked about the God who keeps us. He is our refiner. He is at work in our lives, not just in our circumstances, but in us. And there's two things that I want to I want to just highlight from those sermons that I believe speak to what Habakkuk is talking about uh, with the Lord in chapter two. The first is understanding God, our provider, the God who goes ahead of us and makes provision. In this sense, God, the provider, he sees our life in its full scope. He sees point A, where he made the promise with us in our lives, and he also sees the finished product of that promise, the promise completed at point Z. He sees the full scope. In a sense, think of God, the provider, as the one who sees at a 30,000-foot level, but also sees from every angle, every perspective, and with every perspective has a great understanding, a perfect understanding of the situation. If, if God, the provider, is at a 30,000-foot view and he paints kind of in a broad stroke, he sees point A of our life where he made the promise and Z, the final product of that promise, then it's God, the refiner, who zooms into our life and is with us every step of the way. If God, the provider, is a 30,000-foot view, God, the refiner, is in the cracks and crevices of our lives. He is working in every single day. He's not just seeing point A and point Z, but he is with us every step from B, C, D, E, F, G, all the way to Y. He is intimately at work. I'd encourage you to watch these two sermons because it'll help me, it'll, uh, it'll expound more on these two points. But here's what I want to take away from these two names of how God 
uh, uh, his nature is operating with us. In these two names, we see that God gives us all that we need for a full life and godliness. God, the provider, he sees the full scope of our life. That's a reference to 2 Peter uh, chapter 3 excuse me, chapter one, verse three, but he's also the God who gives us our daily bread. He gives us grace that we need for today. Here's the point I wanna make in tying it with the book of Habakkuk and the statements that he made and the answers that the Lord has. And it's the point that I made in those messages a couple of years back, that while Habakkuk says, God, you could do something and you're not, and God responds with, I am doing something. It's just not the way that you understand or that perhaps you would do it. And he's also saying, I, I do have a promise. It's just not in the time you want me to do it. So let's ask some questions. Does God have only good promises and purposes for your life? Absolutely. Is he going to give grace for your daily needs and meet you exactly where you are? Absolutely. But God's will and actions are not just on giving you some things and comforts or delivering you to a desired destination. I said it this way in my message. More than giving you something or taking you somewhere, he is making you someone. If I could just reference briefly the life of Joseph. Joseph, he uh, had a vision and a dream from the Lord, a promise at point A of his life, and it was an accurate dream. It was a dream that his family would worship him as a world leader and as a deliverer. And the promise of point Z that that day would come, it, it absolutely did happen. But it didn't happen from point A and jumping to point Z. In fact, uh, it, it went through many years of pain, trial, and suffering. Joseph was sold into slavery after receiving abuse from his own family and brothers. He, uh, in slavery, was accused falsely of rape, a heinous crime that put him in prison for many years. And all of this happened in about a 15-year window before he ever received the promise. And at that time, as he's experiencing these pains, he could have easily said, God, you could deliver me. You could deliver me into your promise and you're not. But but let's consider the person of Joseph for a minute. When he received the dream at point A, he was a snot-nosed 16-year-old teenager. And he proved his immaturity by taking the vision and the good dream and promise that the Lord had for him and his nation and his family, and he rubbed it in his brother's faces. He essentially said, I know I'm the favored son of our father Jacob, and I want you to know it too. Could God have easily taken Joseph from point A and delivered him to point Z in a matter of a moment? Absolutely he could. But he was more interested not just in delivering Joseph to a place of comfort and where he promised, he was also interested in making Joseph a person of substance and capacity, of compassion and forgiveness and mercy. It wasn't just that he wanted to give Joseph a title of leadership, but he wanted Joseph to have the DNA of a healthy godly leader. If I could say it this way, a promise completed, it will bring us to deliverance. But a promise in process gives us substance. God is not just wanting to deliver us into comfort. Sometimes the answer is not just comfort and speed. Sometimes the Lord is doing a work in us. And may, may I just say, Northland's Church, the Lord is making us during this time a strong people for where He has called us. His promises have not failed. They are still standing in each one of our lives. But in the process of delivering us to a good thing, He is also making us a good person, someone who's made more and more in the image and likeness of Jesus. I love what Tim Keller says about this. He says, if you knew what God knows, you would ask for exactly what he gives you. I like that. If you knew exactly what God knows, you would ask for exactly what he has given you in your daily 
life. I told this story in one of the, the sermons that I preached about my daughter uh, breaking her leg when we were moving. A, a box fell on her and she, she broke her leg. And I remember going into the, the pediatricians as we're getting the x-rays and putting on the soft cast. That experience was one of the, the worst days that I had as a father. Uh, because what it led to is after we after we looked at the x-ray and saw that it was clearly broken, we had to put a soft cast on before we could uh, have an appointment to put on a permanent cast. And while that was happening, uh, my daughter Evangeline, when she was in incredible pain and obviously didn't want to be there, but then we put her on a counter and with two nurses that she obviously, she didn't know, these were strangers, they begin to touch her leg and work on her leg as they're trying to wrap her leg. So all she knows and understands and perceives are two strange women who keep hurting me more and more and where my pain is. And furthermore, what made it worse was that as she was wiggling and wrestling, they, they just said, look, if, if, we don't, if we're not able to hold her down and, and wrap her leg and it doesn't set properly, it could damage her leg for the rest of her life and her mobility and cause her way more pain than right now. And so they said, dad, we're going to need you to hold her shoulders and make sure that she does not move during this time. And this is what was so hard about it, was before my daughter even began to cry, as I'm holding her shoulders down, her head's here, her feet are here, and the nurses are working on her, her legs. She's maybe two and a half years old, three years old at the time. And I'm holding her shoulders down, and before she can even cry, she looks up at me and we make eye contact. And the look of betrayal on her face, all she could perceive and understand was, Daddy, not only are you not helping me and taking me away from this bad place, but you're actually helping in the pain. You're helping these people hurt me. And that's the best that she had in her current perception of the moment. And while she wrestled and pleaded and said, Daddy, would you take me outside? Daddy, would you hold me? The more she wrestled, the more firmly I held her in that moment of pain. Now, I just wanna consider this for a moment. When did I stop loving my daughter any more than I already have since the moment she was born? When did I stop being a good father? Her perception and her understanding was limited. Even if I explained it to her, why we had the x-ray, what we were doing as we were setting her leg in place, if I explained to her, you know, as we set this leg and it's gonna heal much stronger than it was before, don't worry about it. I know it hurts right now, but it's helping you for a future pain. Even if I would have explained it to her, her understanding would not have helped. As God said to Habakkuk, even if I told you, you would not be, you'd be amazed at what this is. You wouldn't possibly be able to understand. In that moment, she did not have an understanding. And in that moment, I was asking her perception not to be on the thing that I was doing or my actions. I was asking her to trust in my nature. I am a loving father who wants good things for her at all times, but I'm going to hold her in that moment of pain until the work is done because I was more interested in not taking her to a place of comfort for a moment. I was more interested in making her whole. And that is what the Lord is doing with us right now in this moment. If I could say it this way for chapters one and chapter two as a takeaway, when we cannot see the mind or understand the will of God, we can still understand his character and feel the heart of God. I'll say it again. When we cannot understand or see the mind of God, we absolutely can understand and feel his heart. He is always revealing himself to his children. While he is so deep and profound and bottomless in, in love and our ability to understand him, every time we reach for an understanding of his character, he is, he is quickly able to show us who he is but we're not always able to understand the plans that he has for us, only that it leads to a good promise. Chapter three, the prayer. Now Habakkuk is in this place that we've been wrestling with for the last few moments as he's considering what the Lord has shared. And this is the prayer that he has. He goes, okay, Lord, 
Where are you in the pain? You've been speaking to me about this and what is it that you're doing? You're talking to me about a way that is higher than my own. And as he wrestles with these two tensions of understanding his circumstances and experiences, but now also understanding a better understanding of, of God's character and nature, he prays this prayer. And I would argue this is exactly how we should respond. He says this in Habakkuk chapter three, verse two, Lord, I have heard of your fame. I stand in awe of your deeds, Lord. Repeat them in our day, in our time, make them known. In wrath, remember mercy. Habakkuk says, you have heard my honest complaints, but now I want you to hear my honest petitions. I have described what is going on in my life, but now I want you to hear my desires. Lord, I know of your deeds. And he repeats those deeds again in verses 3 to 15. He begins to ascribe greatness to the Lord, but he also petitions and said, Lord, would you repeat them in my day? But he also says this in verse 17, 18, and 19. Though the fig tree does not bud, and there is no grape on the vine, Though the olive crop fails and the fields produce no food, though there are no sheep in the pen and no cattle in the stalls. In other words, though my experience have not changed and they're honestly bitter and horrible and I don't like them. He says this in verse 18, Yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will be joyful in God my Savior. The, the sovereign Lord is my strength. He makes my feet like the feet of a deer. He enables me to tread on the heights. He begins to speak and ascribe goodness to God's character, what he knows to be true about the Lord. Habakkuk is saying, I have determined in my own heart, God's promise will indeed come to pass because I believe the one who made the promise. And my evidence is not on the circumstances or the time that I am in but rather in the one outside of time and my experiences. Habakkuk is coming to a place of saying, I can't see the plan and mind of God, but I can feel and trust his heart towards me. Don't use circumstances to assume God's character. Rather, assume God is working in our circumstances because his character is good. Let's not use circumstances as the evidence to prove whether or not God is real or that he is good or whether he's abandoned us or not, but rather let us know with, sure, with a sure foundation that God is good and that he is perfect in his ways towards us. And therefore, I know that even when I can't see his hand moving in my life, I can trust in his nature. You know, I love God's grace. I love the fact that God relates to me, not on my performance, what I've done or what I do for him, but rather he relates to me at a level of identity because of Jesus on the inside of me, because of the work of Jesus and who he is. God connects with me because of who I am, not because of what I do. But Northland's uh, church, could I just maybe submit that we would give the Lord the same decency? Do I wanna thank him for the good gifts that I see and worship him for the way that he performs and power in my life? Absolutely, but I have come through this, this quarantine with this resolve. I am choosing to worship God, not because I witness how he performs in my life, but because of who he is. He is worthy of our praise. I have come to a place of deciding that my circumstances, I will look for God in every experience and circumstance of my life, but I will not use my circumstances as evidence to prove if God is good. Rather, I will use God's character and nature as the evidence to prove that he is good and his thoughts towards me are kind.
So what is my evidence? My evidence is not that I am experiencing good things all the time, but rather that He is my refuge. He is my rock. He is my fortress, my salvation. He is my help in times of need. When I was afraid, I put my trust not in an experience or His performance, but in Him. He is the shadow for me in the heat of the day, and this is who He is for every single one of us. What I have found and discovered is that circumstances are incredibly flimsy uh, pieces of proof because they're always changing, and yet God's unshakable nature will never change. I have an important question for each one of us during this time, and this, this question for me has become the single most important question that I've been asking myself during this experience. Because the answer of how you answer this question, not, not the answer I give you, but how you determine in your heart to answer this question will shape your life, will shape your theology, how you view politics, how you cho choose to operate in this crisis and in the crisis that will sure happen in our lifetime. And it's this, where do you get your evidence from? Where do you get your evidence? I had a friend uh, that we lost touch uh, just because our careers kind of took off and we went in different states. And uh, man, but I, I love this guy to death. And we, we've served the Lord. We've witnessed the Lord move in profound ways in our own lives and in our families' lives and in people's lives. And we lost touch. But over uh, the last uh, couple of years, we've made a couple phone calls here and there just to check in. And uh, I was a little sad because I heard that he, he ended up walking away from his faith uh, when it comes to, he, he would say maybe more of an agnostic than an atheist, maybe believing that there is maybe some kind of higher power. But when it comes to Christianity, this, this God of goodness he was wrestling with and struggling with. Because when I asked him what, what caused him to walk away, he said, man, I, I witnessed my dad receive the report of getting cancer and then I watched him struggle in pain of chemotherapy and it was the worst feelings of my life to witness. And I could not come to a place that God was as good as he said he was. When we had served him the way that we did, we made sacrifices, we served others, we did everything that the Bible would call a Christian to, and yet we were experiencing this kind of life. And even though his father went through remission and from my understanding is still in recovery, or still at, at full recovery, He's still wrestling with this. What I'm grateful for is I know that his wrestling with the Lord is going to lead him back to Jesus. I'm confident in this. I pray for him as often as I think about him. I know that the Lord has him and he's holding him close. Even when he's released his embrace, the Lord is embracing him all the more. But what I have found is that where you get your evidence from when it comes to the Lord's goodness, it makes or breaks you. It shapes your life in profound ways. It shapes how you view God for sure. And in this case, if you allow circumstances to determine whether God is good towards you, you are going to continually change your opinion about God, about life, about your views on, on a thousand different things because the, the, that evidence, that proof is very, very flimsy. But when you resolve in your heart that my evidence will always be found in the unshakable kindness and nature of God, I promise you, you will find a bedrock, cold, hard proof and evidence that will hold you fast in times of celebration and in pain. Now, as we're beginning to close, I just want to highlight a message that Greg shared a couple years back called Secrets of the Psalmist. Again, we're going to put the link in the notes here. So you'll see the PDF notes. You'll see those two sermons that I mentioned earlier, and you're going to see another message that I really want us to watch together, Secrets of the Psalmist. And in this, in this message, Greg lays out a formula, a, a, a type of worship that David instituted for his people as he writes the Psalms. These, this formula is really through, through all the Psalms or almost all the Psalms this 
this formula of describing, ascribing, and prescribing to the Lord. In fact, commentators would say that Habakkuk, as he wrote his account, he wrote it in this exact same model. Because of his history and his forefather David, he wrote his complaints and his descriptions of life and the way he ascribed to God's character and nature and prescribed, it was modeled after this. And so I wanna just highlight Psalm 31 for us as we close, just little verses here and there. Because here's what I want us to do. I believe the Lord has called us to a time of getting away with Him having a quiet time with him, and and perhaps, might I say, an exercise for us to write our own psalms to the Lord, filled with honesty, filled with embracing the Lord, but also wrestling with him. So let's just talk very briefly, and I want to just highlight these. Describe. Greg said it this way, describing it's, it's, uh, it's us wrestling with our experience and our circumstances. It's you writing down and being honest. Lord, this is how I feel. Lord, this is what I'm experiencing in my circumstances. And Lord, this is how I even view you. David's the one who wrote in Psalm 22, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He describes his his pain points even towards God. And I love Psalm 31 as an example. Here's just a few descriptions. David describes to the Lord what's going on in his life at the time. He says things like, for I am in distress. My eyes grow weak with sorrow. My soul and body with grief. My life is consumed by anguish. And my years by groaning, my strength fails because of my afflictions and my bones grow weak. He says things like, I am forgotten as though I were dead, for I hear many whispers terror on all sides. They conspire against me and plot to take my life. He's describing what he's experiencing. He's being honest and wrestling with the Lord. Now, what you do with your descriptions as you write them down, it matters. You have a choice to make. That as you look at your description and you weigh them out, just like Habakkuk does and just like David does, you have a choice. Do I ascribe, do I begin to ascribe to God based off of those circumstances or based on his character? Will you use your descriptions as the evidence that God has abandoned you? Or will you use God's character as the evidence that his promise still stands? Talking about ascribing for a moment, to ascribe. It's you saying, this is what I know as cold, hard proof let, let this be my evidence. Ascribe, it means that we declare the evidence, what we know. We declare what we know is unshakable, that is proven, that is true, like God's character. We, 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 we ascribe to him testimony as of the work that he's already done in our lives. We talk about not just the past work that he has done, but the promise that he has for our future. We ascribe, listen to David as he ascribes to God in Psalm 31, just a couple statements that he made. But I trust in you, Lord. I say, you are my God. I love verse 19. How abundant are the good things that you have stored up for those who fear you, that you bestow in the sight of all on those who take refuge in you. David says, you know what, Lord? You're so sneaky. I know exactly what you're doing. He, he won't even let his circumstances or the things that he's experiencing as he's writing this get in the way. He goes, God, I know how good you are. People are saying terror on all sides and they're watching me and they're wanting me to fail, but I know what you're doing. While I'm not experiencing good things right now in my life, you're taking all the good things that should be happening in my life and you're storing them up for a moment. And while all the eyes are watching, you're gonna dump that goodness on me. I know who you are. You are a good God and you watch for me. You want to declare justice over my life. Oh, that we would be like David in that way. Prescribe. Write your prescription. Just like a doctor writes a prescription, take two tablets a day for for the next week. This is what prescribing is. It's our prayers and it's our petitions. It's us meditating on his goodness. It's our petitions of the desires that we have. I love what Greg says, that Jesus 
was never offended or, and he never rebuked or was put off by somebody who came to him and said exactly what they wanted. That petitions of our desires are not a bad thing. It's a part of the wrestling with the Lord that we can describe to the Lord what we're feeling and experiencing, and we can express the desires of our heart. Both of these are good things. It's a time for us to pray against this crisis, what we don't wanna see, how we wanna rebuke COVID-19 during this time. It's an opportunity for us to meditate on Him and His goodness. It's our way of answering the question, what should we do? David says things like, In you, O Lord, this is Psalm 31, In you, O Lord, I have taken refuge. Let me never be put to shame. Deliver me in my righteousness. Turn your ear to me. Come quickly to my rescue. Be my rock of refuge, a strong fortress to save me. I believe that this is a time that the Lord would call us to writing our own psalms, to be honest with Him during this time. To write down how you feel is to describe. To tell the Lord what you know is to ascribe. And to tell the Lord what you are going to do in light of these truths is to prescribe. I believe that the Lord wants us to take a step further though in this, and not just to describe, ascribe, and prescribe. I believe in this time he wants us to personalize these psalms. And I would ask you, would you just sign your name at the top of the psalm or maybe at the bottom of your psalm when you're finished writing? David did this. He said, uh, uh, David would say thing, a psalm of David to this tune or with this instrument or what, this is what was going on in my life or this is where I wrote this psalm. And I believe the Lord would want us to do that, to mark the date. This is the psalm I wrote during quarantine. This is the psalm that I wrote in 2020 when I was locked in my home. I, want, I believe that the Lord is not calling us just to describe, ascribe, prescribe, but I believe He wants us to subscribe. He wants us to come into agreement with this psalm, to identify and say, you know what, that's exactly how I feel. To describe is to say how I feel. To ascribe is to say, this is what I know to be true. To prescribe is to say, this is what I do. But when you subscribe, it's you writing that psalm and sliding it across the table and saying, this is who I am during this time. I recognize that you're doing a work in my life, that this isn't where you have me for, for, forever, that you're doing a work in me that's continually growing me and making me a person of substance. But for 2020 right now, this is who I am and this is who you are to me. And I would just encourage you to prophetically slide that psalm across the table to the Lord. This is gonna be a time where many of us are gonna write psalms of joy and celebration. And I'm envious of those psalms. I'm, I'm happy that you are finding times to embrace because you're seeing the Lord's goodness and what this, this pandemic has afforded you and your family and that, that you're not being impacted in such a devastating way. Write psalms of joy and thanksgiving and ascribe greatness to God. Those are, those are beautiful psalms. For some of us, we're gonna write psalms of frustration. David wrote a psalm to the tune of do not destroy. In one of the verses he said, grind their teeth into dust. I love the irony of that and I love the honesty of it as well. Write a psalm of frustration. The Lord wants you to wrestle with him in this. And for some of us, you will write psalms of lament during this time. Like Habakkuk, you are going to write things like, the fig tree does not bud, the grapes are not on the vine, the fields produce no food, the sheep are not in the pen, the cows not in the stall. But every single one of these psalms the Lord hears and He is close to us. He has not abandoned us and they all will conclude in this way or should conclude in this way. We will rejoice in the Lord. We will be joyful in God 
our Savior. The sovereign Lord is my strength. Two weeks ago, Michelle preached a message about hearing the Lord's promise. Northland's church is a prophetic statement once again. Though this promise might linger, wait for it. Be patient during this time. It will certainly come to pass. It will not delay. Hear the promise and believe. Last week, I loved Greg's message. I thought thought it was fitting to Michelle's message. He preached about the magnificent opportunity that we have during this time. In Northlands, this is a time of us becoming strong. He is not just giving us a promise or taking us to a destination of comfort, but He is making us a strong people. The promise will be completed and we will see deliverance. We will come through this crisis. But while we wait, we are going to uh, enjoy the fact that the Lord is making us into a stronger people of eternal substance. I just want you to know, Northlands Church, that the Lord is very near to us during this time. He has not abandoned us. Not only is He taking us to a place of beauty and comfort and deliverance, but in this place, He is making us the kind of people that our city and community needs. A people whose resolve is not in our circumstances or experiences, but our resolve is in the Lord. Let Him be your refuge. Let's pray together. Holy Spirit, I thank you for this time together. I pray that, Lord, these words would minister to every heart as they've ministered to me during this time, Lord, that as you've been speaking to me about your character and nature and how I can find refuge in you, Lord, would you help us to find refuge as a people together? Lord, I pray that you would make us strong like steel during this time, that we are being made into a people of substance, that you're not just giving us a a title and a promise, but you are giving us the character and substance to hold the weight of that call and purpose. Lead us, Lord, and be our God in Jesus' name. Amen. Blessings, Northlands.